There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Hello, everybody, and welcome to this. It is the third ever episode of our new podcast. Well, it's not new anymore, is it? Pilot Episodes. And as always, I'm joined by Dunk, Godders, and, of course, Parky. How, how are we, chaps? Do it one at a time. Which in one that order. order. In, the, in the order that I read them out. <laughs> Tell us what to do, please. Uh, hey, JB, it's Dunk. It's good to, good to be here. Now, Dunk, did I, uh, did I see that you... We're flying the chipmunk this week. Yes, I've got a cheeky little photo of you on Twitter, um, looking like Skull Crusher, actually, with poor old Suggs, I think it was, getting out the back, looking massively dejected. What have you been up to? Yes, I've had a wonderful time crushing skulls this week. It's been fantastic. Now, I'm I've got, have, a little, I'm got a little story about that. I'm going to have to jump in here and say, that voice you've just heard there is Godders. Uh, can you actually hear me this Yeah, week? yeah. I've had a little bit of banter about that. And you are quite quiet. The only person we've not heard from yet, say, uh, say hello, please, Parky. Yeah, hi, JB. What I liked was Goddess didn't even say his own name. He went straight, straight into in it. for the kill with Mason. He's so keen, it's ridiculous. <laughs> you, can't, you can't mess around if you think you're dead. <laughs> <laughs> All right, then. Uh, right. Dunk, tell us about your chipmunk. Go. Okay, so uh, this week I've I've been at uh, BBMF, which is uh, it's great to go back there. Which is great for me. It's not so great for them. So we miserable been, uh, for them. Miserable for them. But uh, just having a look at um, their their pilots, how they instruct, and also uh, some of the guys that are uh, either doing their first season, just looking at how they fly the chipmunk. So uh, it's been uh, great fun for me in, in the chippy and. Uh, I uh, had the pleasure of flying with the uh, the newly selected uh, officer commanding of uh, the Battle of Britain Memorial Flight. Um, as uh, God has said, is a guy called Suggs. He's a great fella, and we were uh, we were flying in the uh, in the Chipmunk, and uh, he has to show me a, a number of. Uh, a number of uh, events, um, some of them different landings. One of them being a uh, what we call a practice force landing, where we uh, we fail the engine and then glide the aeroplane uh, back to the runway. <clears throat> and I said to him, right then, Suggs, we'd been doing everything to the main runway. Coningsby's got a little grass runway as well. I said, so it's, it's all going really nicely. Let's do a uh, let's do a, a practice force landing to the grass. And he went, what? I said, well, let's do a uh, let's do a, a practice force landing to the grass. He went. I haven't done one of those before. I said, <laughs> so the poor bloke, like you said, I think the uh, the skull crusher side came out. I was like, <laughs> well, it'll be all right. Come on, we'll give it a go. So we gave it a go. And uh, so he was uh, he was absolutely fine. How- but uh, I did think of you boys giving me the uh, the skull crusher banter, making him do an approach to uh, to a runway he'd not done before. Now, uh, how hard is a grass landing compared to something you'd usually do? Well, I reckon that they, uh, certainly the Spitfire, you know, it prefers to be on the grass. The only drawback to it is that they can be bumpy. Obviously, you know, tarmac, generally it's all smooth and uh, and uh, lovely and, and uh, you know, you can grease them on, hopefully. But sometimes on the grass you get bumps and uh, she gets airborne after you've landed and it can all, you know, you can blame the grass, I guess, for a rubbish landing. But uh, actually when the tailwheel's down, they prefer being on grass. And they were designed for it, you know, back in the day it was all... All grass runways, a big field, look at the windsock and uh, take off and land into wind. 
The most scary one I landed on was, uh, I'm back to being scared again, was, yeah. um, was White Waltham. That's a grass runway and a half, isn't it? It's a bumpy one there. Whenever I went, so my my mum uh, lives just down the road from White Waltham. So ever we, whenever we were landing there, my mum would would come down. So and I would always bounce the blooming thing off the bump in the in the runway. So <laughs> my mum said to me, she said, "You're not very good at landing, dear, are you?" <laughs> <laughs> no, so, I, she's when, not to the only one, mate. <laughs> yeah, I know. Yeah. Tell me this then. My first, oh, uh, my first hurricane trip went out on that BBC program, The Flight, and I remember the first time I met Jeffrey Wellham, he'd seen it, and he went, "Parky, have you ever tried three pointing?" <laughs> and I thought, "Oh, God, kill me!" <laughs> yeah, I just bumped it down the runway in front of the world. Horrid. <laughs> Tell me, are you using chipmunks because they are the closest thing that you can find to? Landing, uh, practicing landing a Spitfire, and they're fairly cheap. Well, I think you know the the, the chipmunk is a great trainer for the Spitfire. It's um, it it, it it's a fantastic. There's a, a number of reasons. The fact is, the Air Force has still got two chipmunks, so uh, we don't have any other tail dragging aircraft apart from the the fighters that we've got. So we're sort of limited. It might not be the best uh, aeroplane to train for a Spitfire because, of course. It's pretty small. There's not much momentum. It doesn't have much power, so much torque with the engine. But in terms of putting someone that's not used to uh, tail-dragging aircraft, it's great initially. And it does sort of almost have the nose authority of a Spitfire when you're coming into uh, into land. It kind of feels, you know, v- vaguely like uh, like you're going to feel in a Spitfire. So, you know, it's really got um, a lot of advantages to uh, to, to training in that. It's a uh, it's a pretty safe aeroplane as well. The um, I remember the first couple of times that I tried to land it. The it was like a shopping trolley going sideways, but you could get away with the huge amount, which you can't in the uh, in the big aeroplanes. I mean, it was a trainer, like Doug said, for the years, years and years. Um, but a just one of the the best aeroplanes that you could ever fly. You know, you fly it with two fingers, and uh, it's an awful lot of stick and rudder. Um, and when you get used to it, she's utterly brilliant. You know, I used to really enjoy flying with Duncan Parkey, actually. Um, Parkey, do you remember, we were talking about the other day, the, um, I was up on BBMF, um, and they don't go to Wickenby anymore. Um, no. But we used to have fantastic trips up there where we just simulate fail the engine on each other and, uh, and just try and get into the, uh, the runway, which will save your life if you're in one of those big aeroplanes. Yeah, absolutely. I think the, the Chippy is such a brilliant little trainer, especially for the Spitfire, in terms of feel. And uh, the horrid moment is when you get thrown in the back seat of the Chipmunk, so you have somebody huge, like, dunk in front of you. So, again, you're just simulating that poor view of the Spitfire. You know, it's it's got that great long nose and the Merlin. Um, and you can't see, once you're in the landing attitude, you physically cannot see ahead of you. It's all peripheral vision. And, that, and that's very unusual, you know, when you fly jets. You get great view. You know, you see the landing exactly where you're going to uh, to touch down. Whereas in a, a tail dragger, it's completely different. And and the chippy is is just a great trainer for that. That's interesting. You mentioned that. Is the is the the field of vision you get out of these piston aircraft in at the Battle of Britain? Um, is it not particularly good? It, it once you you know get airborne so you know as you taxi out it's horrendous if you know if you sit in a spitfire and you look ahead you can see nothing in front of you it's sitting on its tail so you've just got this massive merlin engine in front of you but you know for takeoff you can raise the tail on the spit so quickly you know almost immediately as you power up it it produces enough lift from the uh, the prop wash and you raise the tail and then you've got a great view it's it's like you're in a you know a, a modern day aircraft with a nose wheel so you've got a great view for takeoff but it's the opposite when you land. It's, you know, until you, as you slow down, the nose comes more and more up and the view disappears as you roll out on final. So, yeah, definitely it's, um, it, it is a, a skill set that you have to get used to. And uh, the first time you do it, it, it is weird. You know, you are landing not being able that's, to look ahead. That's, that is absolutely incredible. I, I never actually thought of that. So how would you go about doing it? I mean, what kind of little tips or who are you relying on to bring you in? I'm going to ask Mason because he's the instructor and uh, and uh, standardising. Yeah, what are the, the best ways of doing it, Dunk? 
I you, think you shouldn't have asked it. that question, JB. We're, we're all going to have 17 different ways of doing this now. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I think the fact is probably, you know, the, uh, the, the, the main way is you kind of have to look through it all to, or look through the nose almost because you have to use your peripheral vision. It's no good looking just one side, though, because that becomes polarized. You kind of have to be taking in the whole view left and right and looking all the way to the horizon so that you can uh, you can judge your height so you can really use your peripheral vision to try and judge how high you are from the ground and uh, and judge the flare so it touches down nicely and there's all of course as parky was uh, saying there's all sorts of uh, nuances to it but i think that's probably the key is just to try and ignore the fact that you've got a massive uh, this massive nose in front of you and uh, and use your peripheral vision and look to the horizon and no, you're quite good. used to that, Doug. <laughs> <laughs> no wonder no, you were good at that. Dunk. You I were so good at it, I well. hadn't ever realised why. You only have peripheral vision in real life. Oh, speak <laughs> up. Hey, now, um, the, I, I was looking at uh, the... Uh, I was sat in uh, one of the offices today and there's a picture of the Mark 19 Spitfire and it was just... Uh, the, the, the view of it was such that... So the Mark 19 had a Griffin engine in it, a 37-litre Griffin engine rather than the 27-litre Merlin. Um, and it just meant that... Uh, this aeroplane, this Mark 19, uh, the nose was nearly two feet longer than the early Spitz. Uh, and it's just huge. It must be nearly nine foot long, the nose on this aeroplane. It is just massive. Now, I'm, can that I ask you... aeroplane was definitely like a rocket ship when you went flying it in the first for the first time, uh, especially compared to the other aeroplanes. But it's interesting, just, uh, just to bite in a, a second there, JB, the, um, Parky mentioned the three-pointer. So when you're in the chipmunk, it's quite easy to land. Uh, I say easy. The boys are smiling at me now, but quite easy to land all three wheels at the same time, which was is the approved technique. But you've got, you know, you're essentially stalling the aeroplane onto the runway uh, at that point. So, you know, you're losing all your lift. Um, and I did find it definitely a couple of times in the early days. And it could happen to you in a um, I found it in a spit more than a hurricane. I don't know what the boys think. But um, I used to call it the Wiley Coyote, where you'd flare because you can't see out the front. You're kind of judging peripherally how high you are um, and you're waiting for it to settle on the runway. And actually, you've tried to settle it a foot above the ground. And when it runs out of lift, you feel like Wiley Coyote when he's run off the cliff, has that one second realization. Then his body disappears and then his neck lengthens and then his head disappears as you hit the (laughs) runway quite hard. Um, so there's a real old skill to it. And, and actually, I don't know whether the guys still do it, but definitely in my time, I was um, the tail down wheeler. So landing on the uh, the main wheels, really, with the, the, the tail wheel just off the uh, um, off the tarmac um, and then letting the aeroplane run out of energy on her own um, worked definitely a bit better for me. Uh, that must be quite counterintuitive for you guys because isn't like one of as you can say I know nothing about flying but isn't one of the key things about flying not stalling yeah absolutely you know when you fly you don't want to fly an aircraft too slow so you know all aircraft will land above their stall speed but you know you're you're not far off it and you know it's a um, it's just that judgment call It, it is weird I can remember now just some of the reports written and for some reason that Wiley really caught on and if you had a a final little sort of plop down at the end. It was almost like, how did it go? Oh, it was a wily. And I think you must have created that goddess because it, it's almost now it's I did it more than Royal Air Force term. <laughs> right, boys, here you go. I'm going to ask you a little bit of a geeky question. It is a geeky question. I make no apologies for this whatsoever. I'm going to ask it, and then you guys are just going to uh, go for it, all right? What is the definitive version of a Spitfire? Is it the one which is which was most successful? in combat or is it the ultimate technological um version of this like one of the like one like one of the sea fires in in your mind what is what is that ultimate version who's going first well i'm looking at dunk smiling so uh dunk what do you think (laughs) i seem to get to answer first uh um uh, for the majority of the time tonight lucky me Uh, i think the um the early ones are just beautiful however um uh, for me it's the the beauty of the aeroplane um that's really striking it's fantastic to fly it's got the legendary background but um out of all the aeroplanes uh you know 
my favorite just of the ones that we flew was the mark 5 because it you know it's beautiful actually the mark 9 i think has got the the lines the the nose is just slightly longer and i think it, it's the perfect airplane to look at um so for me it would be the mark 9 yeah it's... go on goddess well i was going to say I, I it's the mark Five for me, although if you speak to, I mean, Parky, have a chat, you know, you guys have spoken a lot to, you know, people like Jeffrey Wellham and, uh, and other Second World War guys. But um, it was a Mark V for me because I, the first one I flew, the first Spitfire I flew was the Mark IX. Um, and I think it might have been the specific airframe at BBMF. But um, felt didn't feel like I thought a Spitfire would would feel like, um, which is actually not how all the Second World War pilots say. You know, they say it was an amazing aeroplane. Um, you know, just the right sort of balance on it. But actually, then when I got in the Mark V for the first time, and there is a story there which we can tell at a later date, um, but uh, didn't quite keep her on the runway. Um, but was one was about the most beautiful flying machine I'd, I'd ever flown, um, and. Uh, I, after that particular incident, I almost had an emotional connection to this particular one, um, which sounds kind of strange, you know, because uh, I immediately wanted to go and fire again. I didn't get to for a couple of weeks. Um, but uh, it was something that I'd seen Smithy do, and I ended up, you know, giving her a kiss on, on the side of the uh, on the airplane before I'd get in and start flying. And so um, I think it was that emotional side that... that um, you know, made it a fantastic aeroplane. So, Although the Mark 19s, you have never, I cannot imagine what it had been like to have been a sort of 18, 19, 20 year old in the Second World War and to get into, Dunk mentioned a Mark 19 with a uh, 37 litre Griffin engine because the power on those things are unbelievable. I mean, they held the world altitude record for a, a prop aeroplane until, when was it? God, it's about I think it, 1950. Is that right? No, 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 I think it still does. Oh, well, there you go. Uh, just. Uh, a quick one, Goddard. What did you expect it to feel like? Because you said you, you, it wasn't as you expected. What were you, what were you hoping for? Well, so I think a lot of us are quite careful not to, to be Spitfire snobs because the first aeroplane you fly on, uh, first warbird you fly on BBMF. After you've got a, you fly the Chipmunk first, uh, then you um, fly the Harvard, then you go and have, uh, you know, your Hurricane Ground School. I think I mentioned mentioned that in, in episode one. And you fly the Hurricane, and the Hurricane, I think, flies like she looks, you know, very solid, very stable, reliable, um, and it, you get used to that. You've done a fair few hours in the Hurricane before you then graduate, if you like, to the Spitfire. Um, and right away, to be much more agile than that Hurricane, but there was something about that Mark 9. She's quite a heavy almost docile aeroplane especially when you fly the lighter weight the mark 5 or the mark 2 that um i mean don't get me wrong it was just amazing she was painted silver at the time and i remember taking off standard feeling oh my god i've got a lander again but looking out the window doing that general handling and seeing that classic elliptical wing out of what is a really fantastic view in a hurricane it's like you're sat in a greenhouse in a Spitfire, hmm. it's almost the aeroplane is strapped to you and, and, you know, you can see everything. It is your classic single-seat bubble canopy aeroplane. So that part of it was amazing, um, but she wasn't didn't feel a huge amount different to the uh, the Hurricane. Yeah, it was weird, Goddess, that um, the, the Mark 9 that BBMF have, MK356, she, she just never rolled really well and she just wasn't very fast. It, it's odd, she's got an identical engine to the, the Mark 16, but... If, if you owned her, you would, I know at the end of the day, be disappointed. She just, you know, I'd never say it to her face. She looks gorgeous, but she was just a slow aircraft. And compared to all the other Spits, you know, I, I love the Mark II because it flew in the Battle of Britain, but I fly a Civi Mark IX now at Aero Legends, and it is everything that, you know, Eric Winkle Brown rated the Mark IX probably as his favorite Spit, and he, he flew them all. And, and a lot of the boys in the war, they sort of, I've heard them talking to the nine and the, and the 16, but I think when I flew, the, the Aero Legends Mark 9, it was everything a Mark 9 should be. It was so much faster than the dear old BBMF one. And, you know, when she was going to rip apart for the major, we all thought we would find a, a dead camel or something in the back of it, you know, because, <laughs> to explain why it was so slow. But I know what you meant. I, I flew our Mark 9 for the first time and it wasn't the Quantum Leap. And then I flew the two that afternoon and it was, that's what I thought the Spitfire would be. 
That's because yeah. Smithy let you fly the two because you didn't crash the nine like I did. <laughs> no, it was the other way around. No, I flew that Mark Nine as well, the Aero Legends Mark Nine, and uh, as Parky said, you know, the difference was just phenomenal. The poor old Mark Nine on BBMF, we did everything we could to uh, to try and fix her, but uh, we we, I mean, people have spent years, decades almost, trying to get her where she should be because everyone's aware she doesn't quite fly how she should do. So um, why? Say again. Why? Do it's a know? really interesting. It's a really interesting point, JB, because. It just shows that every single one of those aeroplanes, even the two Mark 19s, all flew differently. They all genuinely, it feels a bit cliched to say it, but had their own personality. Um, you'd end up speaking to them uh, and, and you know, like I say, give, give them a kiss on the side before you get in and a pat on the side, you know, just to, uh, to look after you. But you knew how each one of them flew in the end. I remember you know, that very first time that, I flew the Mark V. Parky had said to me, watch your on landing. She likes to go right. Um, sure enough, she <laughs> went right quite spectacularly when I, uh, when I did fly it. For no, for no particular reason. I, I guess they are all hand-built. I mean, that, I mean, that's the thing. They all have their own certain quirks. Yeah, yeah we, we, we had such a, uh, you know, in my time, and, well, Parky was there as well on, uh, on BBMF, we kept thinking, Ah, uh, we found it, you know, the engineers, we go, right, you know, we'll look into it. We got the aeroplane laser measured and they found <laughs> that the starboard wing was sat. Well, initially they thought the fuselage was bent, but they found actually that the starboard wing had been mounted uh, incorrectly and it sat about three inches lower than the than the port wing. Really? And so they, they, they got people in, they reamed out the uh, where the mountings are and, and, and put it right and we were like, great. So I went off to test flyer. No, the same. We found that, you know, so we found that the uh, I say we, it was the engineers and they said, Oh, we've uh, you know the bell cranks on the on the uh, ailerons. Uh, we found out that the mod is the wrong mod, and actually they've got a uh, a three quarter restriction on them. So we're going to take the restriction out. We we're like, great, we found it, and no, just the same. <laughs> Everything we did, you know, uh, we kept thinking we found something, and uh, but nothing fixed her. Amazing, absolutely. Um, uh, I mean, the idea of the wings being uh, at slightly at slightly different heights is quite incredible, actually. Well, there was yeah. a story. Uh, Dunk flies to Tucano as well at the moment. And there was a story when um, they first got introduced into service because I was one of the last courses going through on the Jet Provost. And down at Cram, I was at Linton on News. Down at Cramwell, they'd um, taken delivery of the Tucano. And so the story goes, and I think it's true that they rolled the first ten out, and they're taking a photo of them, and. The photographer goes, hey, that one over there, it's sticking a bit too far forward. Can you move it back? So the guys move it back. And then takes the photo, moves to the back. He goes, hang on, that one over there, it's sticking a bit too far out the back. Can you move it forward? And it turned out that the second one in was about a foot longer than the other one. How? <laughs> <laughs> Which, um, if it isn't true, it's a great story anyway. But, um, <laughs> you know, I think it was all... It's essentially when you get hand-built aeroplanes. Yeah, well, didn't they have the problem with this exact problem with the Nimrods when they tried to upgrade them, which is why it cost billions and billions of pounds more because every one of them was hand-built, so you couldn't actually upgrade them yeah. all. No, it was exactly that. The the there weren't any rigs available, and you know, as soon as they took the wings off and tried to put new stuff on, um, it was it was damn near impossible. Every single one was bespoke. Um, in the first place. So, uh, I mean, it was one of the reasons in terms of uh, of Nimrod, which is uh, a very emotional subject for a lot of people that we could get into in a, uh, another podcast. But it, it is all about hand-built aeroplanes. Um, and when you think of all of that aircraft production, you know, we joke about it being in front rooms, but the uh, shadow factories and everything that were built in the Second World War, I mean, there were thousands and thousands and thousands of people just... Um, working away and, and pumping these things out. One of the great books to read about exactly that is Cypher Merlin um, by Alex Henshaw, which is a, just an amazing book. A civilian guy who test flew something like, boys correct me, 2,300 Spitfires in the Second <laughs> World War. Wow. Um, and there's, there's YouTube footage of him as well doing um, his famous displays, which involved all sorts of stuff that we wouldn't go anywhere near, including... Um, inverted push-ups that made the engine stopped and 
starting the engine again as he pulled through on the uh, the bottom half of a loop at about three feet. I mean, just an amazing guy. And, and the book, just uh, well worth a read. Now, that's probably quite a nice little segue, actually. Um, I would quite like to get get to know a little bit about display flying. And what, what I mean by that is, where have you displayed? And what 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 are the more interesting displays that 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 you've done, whether it be with with the Battle of Britain stuff, or you know, in a typhoon, or whatever it, whatever it may be. Um, yes, yeah, like I, I mean, uh, I I got the Tornado F three display um, back in the day in ninety nine and two thousand, and it, it's a weird thing, JB. You know. Um, I just wanted to be a, a, a fighter pilot, you know, uh, you know, doing ops, etc. And display flying is something completely different. It, it's, um, you know, you, you do practice, you know, aerobatic flying, but, you know, at height, you know, we use a base height of 5,000 feet in the military. So it's very safe and you're up pretty high flying it. And suddenly when you get chosen to display the jet, you know, fairly quickly, you're down at 100 feet <clears throat> and you can fly upside down at 500 feet. And... It genuinely is. It's it's one of those. It's almost hard to believe that this is you know legal the flying that you are doing that it and it actually becomes normal quite quickly. Um, but you know I, I just never really forgot that feeling of this is unbelievable fun. It is absolutely I think the the most wonderful thing to do. You know low level aerobatics, exhilarating. You know adrenaline pumping, and you you know you you need to fly well to you know to do a good show and and the red arrows was identical to that but multiply that and obviously the formation element in a spitfire you know or hurricane it's it's maybe more the the grace of the aircraft etc but you are definitely maneuvering low to the ground uh, you know and really max performing or flying aggressively but safely um you know and you know there's big shows there's big venues so the whole thing of display flying it really, to me, was a quantum leap and a just mega exciting and absolutely wonderful world to get into. How did you, go did up- you guys? Oh, yeah, I was just going to ask the question because um, when you start in BBMF in the Battle of Britain Memorial flight, you fly um, singleton displays. Uh, so, you know, you're out there on your own and then very soon you get into formation displays. You join up with the Lancaster um, and, uh, you know, really exciting. And when you're in formation, you're concentrating on being formation in formation so much that so you don't really get to have a look at the the surroundings. The one that you know, I I really enjoy doing air show, uh, doing displays at big air shows, especially when it was your display. So you you go away and do the hurricane display or the Spitfire display because you could you're concentrating on your display, but you could look out the window, you could see what was going on, you see the crowd line, you see the huge crowds that you get at some of these places. You know, so upwards of a hundred thousand people at. Um, at Fairford and down on the coast, you know, Bournemouth, there can be up to 500,000 people, half a million people out on the beaches um, over a couple of weekends. But I guess for you guys who've done the Red Arrows, I guess you were concentrating on formation flying most of the time. Were you just completely focused on that or did you get a chance to look out the window? I think the um, the in, in the reds when you start, so certainly your first year, potentially your second, but when you get into your third year, you enter the the part uh, of the team called Jippo, which is the back four, uh, and uh, you do in the second half anyway, uh, certainly some more dynamic stuff, which involves you flying uh, on your own and then rejoining with other aircraft or um, flying relatively close to uh, another aircraft but doing close passes from left to right um, so you then get that uh, that exhilaration um, and on some of the big splits where um, you do the vertical breaks for instance which uh, you do a loop and then everyone splits and then you you all uh, effectively finish the loop but finishing at 100 feet again you're just on your own then and you're judging your uh, your pull out from that maneuver and again it's as Parky describes that bit's very exhilarating followed by the fact that a high speed join when you've got seven or nine aircraft uh, heading towards each other you know um, and you've got to get that join right then uh you know that that's very exhilarating and concentrates the mind as well so there's plenty there that that takes away from just the fact that you're sat there in in formation with another eight aircraft around you 
Uh, well, yeah, I think you're always aware of the venue. You know, if it's um, if it's a big crowd, even in the Reds, you, you just almost a sixth sense. You know that as God says, at Riyadh, there's maybe a hundred thousand people. But the difficult one, oh, if there's any ex-Reds, because they, you know they're going to nib, and if your smokes are bad or your formation's poor, whatever, you know, you're just aware. You're, you're, you're absolutely. I think all of us trying to seek perfection and, and do the best job you can at it. But um, you know, the, the, there's some. Br- Breathtaking venues and, you know, all, you know, I, I just see as. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board certified physicians who can prescribe FDA approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Dunk was talking about some of the red stuff, and you just get snapshots in your memory of, uh, you know, of eight other red aircraft looping and, and rolling, and, and the second half manoeuvres, as Dunk says, you know, it's it's absolutely a, a fabulous world display flying, and I would, uh, you know, I absolutely recommend it to all the youngsters if they can get into it. You know, it's a lot of the guys haven't even thought about it. It's strange, you know, it's uh, you know the Royal Air Force. It's just a, a tiny little niche thing that we do, you know, to show the aircraft in front of the public, but. Um, yeah, a, a great thing. And we're so lucky to have done it, the three of us. We really are. I, I tell you the one that looks really cool. Go. Is it? Is it the Solents where uh, where the Reds fairly fa- famously f- uh, uh, fly through? Which one's that, Jay? Um, down, kind of like down the Solents. Oh, so Isle of Wight? Could... Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, there's, could be, um... could be Dartmouth. Could be Dartmouth. Dartmouth was one of my favourite display locations. Um, I think it's changed post the Shoreham accident, but um, you know I remember. Okay, Dartmouth um, on the uh, Battle of Britain, was like a three ship display, so Lank, Hurricane, and Spitfire. Where was it? Gone as a three ship. You not hear me say Dartmouth? Dartmouth, gotcha. Go on, Gordas. Do- don't let them put you off, mate. Don't let them put you off again. <laughs> It'd better be oh, a good you? story. <laughs> Couldn't you hear that? All right, we can hear you, mate. Carry on. I'll talk. I'll, I'll talk about that one later. Someone else go. No, you're on now. It's no good being all coy. Just get on with it. Don't. He's going to whisper again. All right. All right. So one of my favourite places to uh, display was Dartmouth. I only did it a couple of times because when you arrived on information with the Lancaster coming down that river it was like you were on the dams raid because it's such a narrow v-shaped valley and you guys must have displayed in there in the in the reds as well but um doing the with the half horizontal eight so you know the half loop in the spitfire back into that valley um is just one of the most amazing display venues that uh, that i've been to and displayed at and i remember one particular this one display, Parky mentioned it, certain things flash through your mind or stand out in your memory. And this particular day, flying that Mark V Spitfire that I said was was definitely my favourite. And um, just being amazed at the scenery, the people down at the, um, you know, it's a, it was a ship festival down there in the harbour. It was just amazing. And, uh, a ship festival? Definitely, I, 
good one. Do, do you remember, Dunk, when we displayed, this is Red Arrows, displayed at the Virgil Arab in oh, Dubai? Yeah, yeah. yeah. That, this massive, massive hotel that's sort of on the uh, on the seafront. And uh, I just remember, you know, we were, we were all up for this show and it gets etched in my mind, beautiful day as it, as it would be. But, you know, the, just the smoke was sort of lingering in the sky as we were doing this display. But you just, even though you're obviously concentrating at all the aircraft around you and, and your formation position, you were just in your peripheral get as the uh, the boss at the time, Spike, did the display. And it, and it was just just lovely and, and just sort of relatively close. But, you know, it, it would have looked fabulous from the ground. But you were aware of this massive hotel kept coming into your sort of peripheral vision as you were sort of flying past it. And it was just a breathtaking view. When we were doing the solo stuff afterwards, they were building, it, it looks like a, um, a palm tree in the, uh, oh, I know the, one, on the yeah. seafront there. So, and again, just some of the footage, you know, it was, it was, I've got to stop looking out the window here. I've really got to concentrate because what? it was just breathtaking. What were you flying? Did you ever stop looking out the window? <laughs> yeah. Come on, you, you noticed. <laughs> Um, what were you flying, so, Parky? You, you've done you've done an eleven a reef on me there. So I talk about Dartmouth, and you're straight in with Dubai. Well, I displayed on the moon once. It was fantastic. <laughs> Here, uh, Parky, um, what were you um, what were you flying at that time? So that that was uh, the Red Arrows. So in the uh, in the Little Hawks, we'd done a. I guess where do we go, Dunk? We did a tour out to Langkawi, you know, yeah, out so, to the Far yeah. East. Yeah. Why? Why and are then, they? Uh, yeah, it was brilliant. Back, <laughs> God is just pulling faces now. But it was sort of back through India, and we did Egypt, the pyramids. I remember, and I, it was just, you know, it, it was brilliant. Some big, big venues, and uh, yeah, it's fabulous. You oh, know, and why are the I RAF navigated the sun and the hurricane? <laughs> <laughs> uh, why are the RAF sending the Red Arrows uh, to Egypt and Dubai and India or wherever? What's the what's the logic behind that? Well, you know, it's as far uh... as they could send Parky without hearing. <laughs> yeah, they, they sent me on my own. I don't know why. No, uh, it was uh, there's a big air show in Langkawi, which is every other year. So, uh, you know, sales push, Great Britain PLC, you know, we fly the flag um, and, you know, hopefully, you know, do a good job in terms of, uh, you know, t- selling the country around the world. You know, the Reds, uh, you know, it, it was one of the strange things that w- whenever you meet people, and I think as a country, you know, I, I'm guilty of it. You know, I tend to think that we're going to lose on penalties in the World Cup and the train's probably going to be late. But for whatever well, we reason... Are, and they yeah. are. <laughs> but for whatever reason, it, it seems that you, you'd meet people and they go, Red Arrows, they're the best in the world and we're really proud of you boys. And you had this outrageous legacy that you had to live up to. And you, you really were... I mentioned earlier when, you know, uh, there were old boys from the Reds watching you. You really felt the pressure because, you know, their legacy that they gave you was always perfect shows wow. and you know you just didn't want to to let the team down and it was a it, it's a lovely you know accolade that the country really does get behind you and i think we should be very proud of the reds you know when they go abroad and do their bits you know i think you know we're biased obviously but my honest opinion is that show is is the best in the world excellent uh, i tell you what just with what you've said there flying at an air show particularly if you've got other teams there like i don't know um, uh, do the, the US Navy are they the Blue Angels something like that? that that must be a different level of pressure being judged by other aviators yeah absolutely you know we, we did uh, you know a few big shows and I remember one we were with the Petrie de France of the French display team the Swiss display team were, were pretty good with their F5s and the Italian the uh, Frankie Tricolori so and we were in the same hotel and you know we were you know, just just fight. bantering and yeah, and, I was and say, massive fight. And we yeah. was it like was it like the different news teams on Anchorman? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, which but, the... you know you were aware that the next day we'd we'd all be watching each other's display, and uh, you know you, you you trust me, you didn't want to mess up. It would have been brutal banter. Even and we're talking even you know getting a smoke wrong, and you've got coloured smoke. If you get those wrong, you can. You can easily mess up the display for everyone. So, uh, yeah, it was um, it, it was great, you know, meeting all the other teams, very similar ethos, etc. And, uh, you know, and, and love watching them. But like I said before, I definitely uh, I rate right. the Red Arrows. OK, so. OK. All of you have got to stop because you need to answer this now. What is, I want you to name and shame, what is the worst display you've seen and by who? 
Oh. Well, I've got one. I can go straight in. So, uh, Fairford, I think it was 1992, I was training on the Hawk, and I jumped in the back seat with an instructor to go down, and um, it was to put the Hawk out as a static display. Obviously, if you've been to an air show, you can see there's lots of airplanes on display that the public can walk around, um, and then you've got the display side where people fly. And it was not long after the, the, the Berlin Wall had come down, and it was the very first time that MiG-29s had displayed in the UK. Wow. So in that afternoon, everyone has turned up to watch this display, and they were flying a two-ship display. I can remember, <laughs> you'll see why in a second, but I remember it absolutely, completely clearly, because they started, and it is a hugely powerful aeroplane. Back in 92, you know, we were flying tornadoes, Jaguars, um, we didn't have anything that could take off and go straight up. These guys did that. They flew some amazing formation right up until the point they hit each other. Um, and oh, there was yes. this massive, massive fireball. Um, I, I mean, it was horrendous at the time because it's your worst nightmare, obviously, at a display. But we only saw one shoot anyway. So utter carnage. Um, I'd, having flown in and seen how many people were in and around that airfield, I just assumed that loss of life would have, was huge. But actually, it, they'd landed right in the middle of the airfield. Um, no one had been injured. In fact, the only person who was injured was one of the pilots. Because if you watch the video, one sparks up a cigarette and the other one comes over and punches him in the face. Me and Dunk often end our sorties as well. Eight, is that true? That's why Parky looks like he does. I genuinely punch him in the face at the end of most sorties. Sorry, I just want to drill down on that. That that isn't true. The one one pilot doesn't punch the other one in the face, surely. Well, that's what I heard from a bloke down the pub. Apparently, I'm going to look it up. I I, but, I, I will um, do. I love that idea. But but then but it but it goes on. The the most admiration I've had I've had I think for anyone in flying since I've been flying with the Suisse who were flying F5s um, painted bright red and this crash had essentially happened over the top of them um, and it was uh, it was only about a 10 minute delay then the Swiss took off they were clear to take off and continue their display um, and you could see people diving out the way whenever they were doing their op opposition maneuvers. but I mean utter utter balls of steel there to have witnessed that and go off and do that display flying. Um, but uh, yeah, just a completely surreal day and definitely one, one that I will remember forever. <laughs> wow. That's uh, that's going to take some beating. Anyone fancy beating it? Do you know, that is a good story. I didn't realize you were there. I've seen, you know, video of that and, and it is just, you know, that's a unforgettable moment that you saw, but um no, I mean, the, the ones I, I used to feel sorry sometimes for, you know, the, the little light aircraft, maybe singletons that are flying and the, the, the organizers might put them behind a Raptor or something like that. So an <laughs> F-22 literally defies aviation and does the most breathtaking show. And then some poor little mate's got to get airborne in some propellered aircraft. And you just feel for him, um, you know, even if he probably flew it beautifully, you know, by definition of what he's flying. Um, but, you know, Air shows are great, and uh, you know, I think we we have overdosed on air shows in the last probably I don't know me and Dunk I don't know fifteen odd years, but uh, I, I still you know we, you you can't help but watch and have a have a good look, and we're, we're absolutely ridiculously critical and and you know anal about what what we do, especially with the display flying. But you know it, it's great; it's a great day out, and um, you know and. I'm probably banging on about it. It's, it's a lovely world. A yeah. <laughs> and, and, and you haven't named or shamed anyone. Right, Dunk. I'm not going to. I'm going to leave it to Dunk. Dunk. Okay, so, so my one actually is pretty recent. So God has gone back in time so as not to uh, embarrass anyone because uh, uh, the, the poor Russian boys have probably been, you know, shipped off to Siberia, haven't they? So you'll never see them again. The Kremlin they, wants the, a word. They don't get podcasts in Siberia, uh, although maybe that's what they make them listen to. You'll have to listen to this podcast. Um, <laughs> they, they listen to your solo podcast, Doug. <laughs> 
but the uh so for me i went to fairford last year but i got invited to go there uh, very kindly as a guest of someone so i thought it's great do you know what it's been a long time since i've just been able to sit down and watch an air show because normally you're involved in them so um and the reason that i was uh, i was uh, excited about it was because they had the f-22 there um and uh, so it pitched up and the uh, the F-22 uh, arrived on the runway. And God bless our uh, American brethren. They, uh, the, the, the commentator, uh, they're, they're far more. I mean, we I guess people sort of we we, we sort of we um, we're like our, uh, our caricatures, really. So we're typically British and stayed mostly. And this, it's all very well uh, commentated on like this. But the Americans, of course, they were like, OK, here is the F-22 Raptor. And uh, and this was just him lining up. And uh, so he lined up and was like, right, this is going to be a fantastic display. The cloud base is 1,400 feet. Ladies and gentlemen, he is revving up his engine. So he's going on and on about this Raptor. Uh, at the moment, the Mustang, the World War II fighter, it is going to check the cloud base for the F-22, which will, in a moment, put on the most miraculous display ladies and gentlemen and so it, it carried on like this and so it literally went oh and the mustang is is radioing in now and ladies and gentlemen it's cancelled he's taxiing <laughs> and that was it <laughs> <laughs> so so that was it i sat and was like well i'll go and have a cup of tea then but... why did they cancel it <laughs> uh, why, why, why did they cancel it dunk well, apparently 1,500 feet was his limit, and the cloud was at 1,400 oh. feet. So like, we're not going. Have you ever thought about becoming a commentator, Dunk? Yes, yeah, I think that, that was, was the, excellent. For the WWE? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. So we had, um, when I was on the squadron in the States, the F-16 demo, as it was called, was blown from Shaw Air Force Base, where I was. And they asked for volunteers, for guys, to go and do the commentary. And we had one of the quietest guys I've ever met volunteer. He got the job, but he was a maniac on the microphone. It was amazing. And it is, <laughs> it is part of their show. When you see the, the Thunderbirds, for example, their show starts as they walk out to the aeroplane. Um, really? You know, there's a ton of, yeah, there's a ton of stuff on the ground. It's almost formation walking. Um, they'll do a, a you know. I'm I think that's called sort of marching, Goddard's. <laughs> Formation. Do, do you remember that in the military? <laughs> I can't believe you know that when you've left. Is that how for this year for for the uh, for REF one hundred? Is that where you've been? Uh, so um, so oh Commodore Godfrey. Um, what do you think we should do? Well, I think we should have some of that. Um, what do we that um, that formation walking stuff? We should we should have some of that, shouldn't we? <laughs> <laughs> oh uh, no! But you don't do tricks when you're or high five when you're marching. That's my get out clause. Oh dear! I was just getting to the high five bit, and then they got the ladders together. I, I guess there's a term for that, Parky. Yeah, we used to have a. Uh, we did have a display start up and shut down, didn't we, Dunk? Yeah, we did. Yeah. And, and you sort of ripple the canopies of the hawk and, and make it. I remember we were meant to do one at Cranwell for the 40th. So the boss of brief is going to be a, a display shutdown and, you know, you wait for the boss. And literally, I, I just forgot. So all the other eight hawks were there and I just shut down over my canopy and got out. And it was like, <laughs> oh, dear. <laughs> all the other eight boys were doing little signs to me. I can't tell you how delighted I was to see that. <laughs> Ruined it. Did you, uh, did you get fined? Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. What, what, what was the fine system? Well, it, it, was, it was just, I, I think it was kind of like if you were a second late with your smokes or if you were late for transport, the the executive officer was one of the pilots in his third year had the power and he, and it was just, you know, you got fined and we all put it towards a beer at the end of the day sort of thing. But, you know, you would try and avoid fines and, and it got ridiculously competitive. You could, I think you could declare a clear round before the debrief. So you're literally saying, I'm, I have made no mistakes. And, and then if you <laughs> managed to get it without any mistakes, 
So you had all your fines of that week scrubbed, and it was all yeah. it all got ridiculously. Also, you know, it was a double or quits. Yeah, oh, yeah, 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 big time. And I mean, then it was good to call that. It was yeah, it was a ballsy move, and you know, because you had to be pretty confident that you'd done pretty well. Um, and so, of course, everyone was uh, was sort of gunning for you a little bit. And so the, the, the tape would be stopped and, and, and rewound for ever just to make sure that you were bang on with your smokes. Um, but I think it was, Parky, I think it was just 10p for a smoke error, wasn't it? Um, well, yeah, but I think it was, a... if you were in yeah, your second year, second year was 20p, <laughs> third year 30, fourth year 40, because I came back and I remember for that fourth year, and I can remember the first thing JG, who was now the exec, and I had been the exec the previous year and left. So it was this, the first thing he said to was me, 40p fines for you. I was like, oh, God. This is, this is. He's a lovely fella. Can I just say, boys, <laughs> this is unbelievably <laughs> trivial. When he said fines, I was like, oh, right, yeah, 100 quid, maybe a night in jail, you know, military sort of stuff. Oh, no, 10 pence, 20 pence or 30 pence, depending on your seniority. But the thing is, no, you, no, you, no, could, no, you no, could easily no, have no, 10 fines a trip and you were flying three times a oh, day on what? the workup. That's a pound, pound, JB. That's a flipping pound. <laughs> we, we, you know, J, JB, you have to remember when these boys were in the Reds, that is now worth about 600 quid. <laughs> <laughs> it's just slightly less than a shilling. <laughs> we weren't paid much then. <laughs> that's absolutely excellent. Boys, let's leave, on, let's leave that on a high note. A 30p high note formation walking. Formation walking. <laughs> Fantastic. Uh, Godders, where is our Twitter? What's it called? Um, we are Pilot Episodes Pod on Twitter. And actually, if we've got a couple of minutes, there are a couple of questions that have come through that oh, uh, awesome. I'd ask people Yeah, to. absolutely. Yeah. So uh, who have we got here? We've got Stan Egerton who says, uh, why does a modern jet need so much manpower to service after a flight? compared to the length of the flight. Surely the mechanical stuff is relatively simple and electronics would log a problem. Hmm. Well, that's actually the case. Um, it only needs a couple of people to service an aeroplane. Um, and definitely in Typhoon, you fly it uh, a few times a day, but you will download a little brick, a little electronic brick, plug it into the computer, and, uh, and the Typhoon tells the, uh, the engineers, the maintainers, um, if there is something up with it. Obviously, a pilot will debrief so if there's a snag with the aeroplane you'll get out and tell them so they know already um but it's essentially um as easy as that so in answer to stan's question um it doesn't it's probably not changed since the second world war in terms of uh, a couple of people to um you know rearm it refuel it and uh, have a look around as long as there's uh, nothing seriously wrong awesome uh have we got any more yeah yeah so uh I'll pass this one to Parky, actually. So this is from clearly a relative of mine, Chris Godfrey at Foodie Sales. Um, is flying the aircraft secondary in modern jets to the mission, i.e. is the plane so easy to fly, the mission is more labor intensive? Yeah, I think, <clears throat> you know, Typhoon, is it's a lovely, delightful aircraft to fly. And it, it's not difficult, you know. There's, there's, there's well, no... Yeah, even I could do it. It's um, it's just operating all the systems. You know, you just get swamped by information, and there's times where there's smoke coming out your ears when you're working so hard. And it's really cherry picking what's important, what you should be doing at that time, because there's often too much. And I think that is the key to it. You know, they they build devices out of the aircraft, so they are easy to fly. You know, um, and uh, and technically it should make it easier, but. Yeah, you look at your tape at times. I used to love, you know, listening, and I probably you know, listened to one of your tapes, Goddess, and you would almost be yelling at the jet yourself it, on your own because, you know, you're just working at times, and she's, it's got a, a voice, so it speaks to you. The aircraft talks to you, and, uh, and you'd often be answering it back in no uncertain <laughs> terms. But, uh, yeah, it can get busy, but, yeah, the aircraft are easy to fly without doubt. Can I just... Yeah, and, uh, and that's continued on with F-35. Uh, I was up in the um, uh, BA Systems, actually, up at Wharton. have got an F-35 sim, which is actually for landing on the boat. The, the simulator is for the landing um, signals officer and the pilot. To, and it's a really accurate sim with a, a rolling deck and, and you can put in um, you know, big waves and everything. And the, uh, the F-35 is so easy compared to a Harrier coming up alongside... <laughs> 
pull over and land on the deck, you essentially press a button, you push the stick forward to go down, you pull the stick backwards to go up, and the uh, the throttle pushes you forward and aft. It was the easiest thing I've ever done, um, which is not how it was in the Harrier. So things are easy just so you can operate the aeroplane and get on with the uh, uh, fighting the aeroplane. Can I just follow that up with a sort of secondary question to that? And feel... Feel free to chip in, but I'll aim, aim at a dunk first because he's been a, been a little bit quiet, a little bit left out. Um, do you reckon that there was... Is, is there a period where peak pilot was needed? So what I mean by that is, you know, as you've gone from uh, prop-driven aircraft over to jets, everything's getting faster, but there's not necessarily as much aid as there is nowadays. When, when was the hardest time, time to fly, would you say? I think probably... 60s and 70s, I would imagine, you know, because the performance of the aeroplanes, you know, when we were down at the Royal Air Force Museum and we all were uh, sort of gawking at the the lightning, um, and those guys, you know, they had to operate the, their radar. They had like a uh, like a diver's mask. They had to put their head in whilst they're travelling, you know, supersonic speeds. They've got a jet which is really quite difficult to handle, um, and they've got weapons they're trying to employ that were not, the standoff range of them was not nearly as much as they are today. So they're closer, things are happening quicker. They're trying to get these things to, to lock on. So I I would imagine the combination of workload with the weapons that were, um, that were advancing at a rate of knots and were becoming really quite complex. Um, but we hadn't got the kind of systems that we've got now that allow the the pilots and the operators of the of the aircraft to integrate with them seamlessly uh, i would imagine that that was probably the most difficult time awesome uh, do we have any uh, any more there any more there godders there is one that is quite niche i love it. it love it Give... so um parky won't get this but he knows exactly who it's from it's from our old mate <laughs> Uh, David Thomas at David Thomas 338 DT, who has uh, tweeted uh, BSIP versus RSIP, target to whole beach, discuss. <laughs> right, well, explain this. Beach. Come on. So, uh, so, as an ex Harrier qualified weapons instructor, um, I'm going to ask Dunk to explain it. No, so it's yeah. probably worth ending there, JB. <laughs> <laughs> it was two, two different modes of bombing in a Harrier. It was continuously computed impact points. So if you ever see the head-up display video okay. of someone bombing, you'll see a line down from a, a little aircraft symbol, and you'll see a cross on the ground that moves around. So that gave you a, um, a continuously computed point that when you push the button, that is where the bomb was going to drop. Whole Beach was one of our training ranges. Target 2 was a target that we knew and loved and used the whole time. And B in SIP was uh, Barrow, and R was Redout. And so you either had a barometric solution where you the aeroplane used the pressure of the day to work out its height solution, or you used <laughs> the red out, which pinged off the ground. Um, so my answer to that question, and Dunk's going to agree with here, who are both doing, they're shooting themselves in the face, <laughs> is uh, for DT, RSIP, target two, always. God, that's a belter of a question, isn't it? it it's a, always good to end on a high note. I liked it. Personally, I, I liked really it. Was. I think that was probably the high point of the podcast. Right. Well, oh, yeah, me too. Uh, do you know what? I absolutely love the question. So if you are listening and you do want to leave a question, please get in contact at the Twitter handle, which Godders will just inform us of again. It's uh, Pilot Episode Pod. There you go. Send, uh, send in your questions, retweet spread the word, all the rest of it, and the more you do that, the more of these pods that, that we'll do. Isn't that right, gentlemen? Yep, absolutely. Excellent. Right, let's leave, uh, let's leave it there. Um, shall we try and get together again in about two weeks or maybe a week's time? Sounds great. Yeah, sure. Perfect. Superb. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bolin Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bolin Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus get 15% off your first order at bolinbranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.